Echo and I have scoured through Imperial and Republic files, but intel about the Advanced Science Division is limited. Do we know where they're detaining Crosshair and the other clones? Negative. Their base of operations is unknown. What about their chief scientist? There's even less on Dr. Hemlock. And I was very thorough. He is a ghost. Not quite. According to a contact of mine, Hemlock's set to attend a high-level Imperial Summit in two rotations. Where? Tarkin's compound on Iriadu. If we do a covert infiltration, we can plant a homing beacon on Hemlock's ship and track him to his base. And to cross here. It won't be that simple. We beat a tactical disadvantage, and I'm not sure it's worth the risk. I understand your hesitation. We have not always agreed with Crosshair, but he is still our brother. We do not leave our own behind. If there's a chance to get him back, we have to take it. Definitely. What about reinforcements? Well, Rex is on a separate mission, so it's just us. A small enough team to get in and out without alerting them. But we'll need to move quickly. Well then, let's get started. Welcome to the exciting 200th Bad Batch Beguiling episode of Mandavision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. We are, once again, Mandavision After Dark tonight, so um, a more seductive, sultry tone is required <laughs> for this particular episode. And why not? We're discussing the two-part season finale of Season 2 of Star Wars The Bad Batch, and it was both sexy and seductive so my tone feels very very appropriate please make sure you're following us on social media at mando underscore vision on twitter and instagram you can email this podcast at mandovisiontom at gmail.com be sure to like subscribe follow and share the show with all the mandalorians in your covert well we are back just like promise a very quick turnaround so that we can provide some some coverage some feedback on what I thought was just a simply stellar two-part finale to season two of Star Wars The Bad Batch. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a little bit of a victory lap here <laughs> because you know this is a, Star Wars The Bad Batch is a really great 
animated Star Wars series. And I don't think it gets a lot of attention that it deserves because it doesn't have sort of like the the um, the benefit of, of you know what Star Wars the Star Wars the Clone Wars and both Star Wars Rebels had, which was uh, sort of like the inclusion of, of like really major plot points and events to kind of wrap the mythology around itself, right? You know, the Clone Wars gets into into the Mandalorians, it gets into Darth Maul, it gets into the end of the Clone Wars era, right? Like, it, it, it fills the gaps adequately between episodes two and three. You know, Star Wars Rebels is a vital installment uh, of the pre... Of, of, like, the early rebellion, right? Of, of, like, the time right before Star Wars A New Hope. Um, and, the, and the Bad Batch seems to sort of... Uh, get a little get a get a little bit maligned uh, because it's not quite it hasn't quite inserted itself into the mythology in that way yet but it's 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 doing it it's just doing it in a different fashion than I think what any of us expected to and I, I I'm here to tell you I mean if you, again if you're a long-time listener to this podcast you know that I'm here for this like it doesn't have to replicate Clone Wars and it doesn't have to re- replicate Rebels on the way it provides an entry point into the mythology. This show is tackling things in a very different fashion. It's, it's tackling different topics. Uh, and and while many people were sort of attacking the show for its its side mission sort of based parameters in the early episodes or whenever an episode seemed to not connect to mythology, it was like, you know, quote-unquote filler, blah, 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 side missions, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're here, and you're here, and we're all seeing the same things. The audience for this podcast, we I think we are all finely attuned to what is going on from a narrative perspective. You know, we're seeing what they're setting up. We're seeing what they're building towards. And it's it's all about kind of getting the characters to the places they need to be. It, it, not just, like, physically. It's about, it's about their emotional journeys as well. You know, we're talking about... Uh, uh, hardened characters who are coming out of the Clone Wars and now they are having to learn how to A, uh, care care for a young sibling of theirs in Omega, but they're having to learn how to care for themselves in a way that they never had to off, off the battlefield. And it is a, a, a different mentality for them. They have to learn how to approach these things differently. And that's what they've been, been learning how to do in these first two seasons of the show. And as I predicted, and, and I'm not alone, other people predicted, said the same thing. This would pay off in a big, bad way as we approach the season finale for the show, for the season. And I think it did. I think every emotional journey that we went on with these characters is vital to what happens in this episode. And in, in, in this two-part episode, I should say, to be more specific. You know, it, it was crucial that we spend that time with tech and omega and and see their relationship kind of grow and develop and change same thing with omega omega and echo and and again you know because so much of season one was focused on on hunter and echo i'm oh my goodness on hunter and omega that that you know sort of the rest of the batch sort of got sidetracked a little bit you know omega and wrecker always had a very easy relationship with each other that was very uh, you know little sister big brother from the get-go, because Wrecker's sort of more, more um, I don't want to say simplistic necessarily, but he's less complicated than his siblings are in the, in the group. Um, so the time we spent getting to see how Omega connects to Echo, how she gets to connect to Tech uh, in this early part of the season, 
is crucial, and it pays off in a big bad way in an insanely intense two-part episode to close out this season of The Bad Batch. So we're going to dive into that, and I can't wait to talk about it because, uh, again, I'm I, I I've loved this season, I've loved this this series. You know, there's only been a handful of episodes where I sort of like, I was like, okay, it's a little meandering, but there are the moments in the show that you need to get to where we are now, and that is what I think is the most important thing to remember uh, as we, as we sort of move forward with the show, and then we head into season three. Now, before I get into the particulars of the episode, I do want to mention, if you hear some noise in the background, like some clinking and clanking, um, that is, unfortunately, my dryer. Uh, the podcast must go on at all costs, and sacrifices must be made to make the podcast go. However, uh, wet pajamas <laughs> are not a sacrifice I'm willing to make. So the dryer is on. Hopefully you can't hear it as, as, as much as I can. Uh, but if you do hear the occasional clink or clank, it's probably a, a button hitting against the metal side of the dryer. So I apologize in advance for that. All right, so let's get the particulars out of the way for Season 2, Episode 15 of Star Wars The Bad Batch. This is The Summit. Our plot this for this episode, an infiltration proves more challenging than expected. This episode is directed by Nate Villanueva, written by Matt Mishnevitz. Uh, we have the incredible voice talents of D. Bradley Baker himself, and Michelle Eng as Omega. We also get in this episode Stephen Stanton back as Moff Tarkin. Jimmy Simpson is Dr. Royce Hemlock. Andy Allo as fighter number one. <laughs> Andrew Kashina returns as an Imperial technician and Saw Gerrera. We also get Ben Mendelsohn as Orson Krennic. Wanda Sykes as Fee Genoa. And, and it's, it's a variable, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Andy De La Torre also is Hirsch Ramadi. Two characters between Hirsch Ramadi and Orson Krennic were connecting to Rogue One, just FYI, in case you weren't paying attention. That's what's going on there. And in our second episode, uh, season two, episode 16, Plan 99, Oh Baby, <laughs> directed by Stuart Lee, written by Jennifer Corbett, and uh, partial credit to Matt Mishavitz on this as well for the story editing. Uh, on it as well. And again, our primary cast, D, Bradley Baker, Michelle Eng, Ben Diskin as AZI3, Bria Perlman as Sid, Jimmy Simpson as Royce Hemlock, Helen Sadler as Dr. Scholar, Keisha KSL Hughes as Emery Carr, Stephen Stanton as Governor Tarkin, Gwendolyn Yeo as Nala Say. That's sort of our primary cast. And uh, what is our plot for Plan 99? Let me guess. It's not real descriptive. The heroes are tested. And indeed, they are. Um, I, let's just go ahead. We'll transition now into talking about the episodes proper. Uh, just a little heads up. We're not going to break it down per episode necessarily. Uh, we'll try to go in, in as much of a chronological order with the episodes as we can. But it may get a little jumbled. We may, 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 may kind of go back and forth between episodes 15 and 16. Again, I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that we've watched them both, that we're all up to speed, we're all caught up, and we're ready to rock and roll. So that means... My friends, it is time. Buckethead Nation, it is time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. The progress we are making in the field of cloning is of great importance to the Emperor. Once we fully unlock the secrets previously known only to the Kaminoans, 
We will ensure an enlightened society through their advanced technology and molecular alteration. And how long will that take? The funding you have requested, Hemlock, is quite substantial. Science is not something you rush. And with more clone troopers being decommissioned, I have found a new purpose for them. Test subjects to aid in my research. That's a solution that solves a number of problems. And these clones have agreed to your experimentation? They are Imperial property. Their cooperation is not required. There are many in the Senate who are fighting for clone rights. If word of this gets out, it could prove detrimental to our goals. The location and operations under my purview are far from the eyes and ears of the Senate. And everyone else. If I may, I served with the clones for many years. They're cunning warriors, loyal to the end. Are we all willing to just dismiss them out of hand? I also served with the clones and found them, at times, to be very unpredictable. Under Jedi leadership, they adopted a concerning level of individuality. And what happens if they become aware of what's happening and take up arms against us? Well, some already have. And we will deal with them, swiftly and unilaterally, to quell any threat of a clone uprising. So as the season's gone on, we've gone a little ahead of ourselves and kind of projecting what we think may be happening with, with sort of the clues they give us, with some of the foreshadowing they offer to us. And, you know, I'll, I'll put it right on Front Street. I got a little ahead of myself last week thinking that the batch getting to, to Wayland uh, in, in the, the second part of this two-part finale um, was, was sort of like the inevitable conclusion. But uh, not so fast, my friends. Uh, Dr. Hemlock, uh, Governor Tarkin, and, and like this squad of Imperials, you know, insanely formidable for, for what they are trying to do. And again, they don't even know they're going up against the batch. But the, the procedures, the protocols in place, the secrecy around Wayland itself uh, is sort of like the obstacle that the batch has to overcome in this, this episode, particularly in, in this first parter here. At least, I mean, it makes it seem like that'll be the mission, right? Like, oh, we're going to go infiltrate the summit on Iriadu at, at Tarkin's place. We're going to be able to figure out where Hemlock's going to and from, and we'll figure out where his secret base is at, and then we'll be able to go and get, uh, go and, and rescue Crosshair and the rest of the clones that are being held uh, against their will as prisoners and, and test subjects for Dr. Hemlock. And it's, it seems so straightforward at the time, but uh, as is the case very, very often, uh, the writers of the show have have shown that, like, oh, no, we're not just going to give you what you think is going to happen. No, no, no. The, the heroes have to work for it. And uh, there will be consequences and prices must be paid for for them interfering in, in imperial business or at, at this point. Like, again, the empire is a tyranny and, and their power is, you know, it's not cemented absolutely just yet. But it is formidable, and for a, a, a group of, of four clones, it is a lot to overcome. And that's what this episode kind of reminds us of. But it also reminds us that it's not just the batch against the Empire. Like, there are more forces at work here. So what starts off as, as sort of a, a simple plan, and I say simple in, in the sense that, like, okay, it's just straightforward. Like, infiltrate Tarkin's compound, you know, place a tracker on Hemlock's ship, and, and let's figure out where... 
they're keeping Crosshair and where the secret facility is that the clones are being held. It's, it's, it's straightforward in that sense, but it gets insanely more complicated as the team infiltrates Iriadu. And if you've read the Tarkin novel, uh, you know that Iriadu is a, a, a formidable environment to begin with. Uh, and that comes through in this episode as we see the visuals, the way they have to, to, to ascend to this mountaintop complex, uh, make their way in. Uh, 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 an insane number of stormtroopers. The Imperial presence there is, is overwhelming. But again, they're a small force. They believe that, that they can infiltrate here and, and pull this off without a hitch. Uh, as we find out in this episode, though, uh, they're not the only group allied against the Empire that is, is, is attempting to take down the summit. Uh, as we find ourselves face-to-face -face with, um, you know, possibly depending on how you, how you want to look at it, the first rebel against the Empire here. Check it out. Didn't expect to find you two here. Saul Guerrera. I told you on Onderon you had a choice to make. Looks like you've chosen. Keep an eye out. What exactly is your plan here? I'm leveling this compound along with all the Imperials inside it. Can't let you do that. We're tracking one of the officers. We need to find his base where clones are being imprisoned, including one of our own. You expect me to call this off to save a few prisoners? You are trying to fight an Empire. Have you considered that by destroying this facility, you are wiping out any chance to gather intel that could help your cause? Taking out several of their top commanders is a good start. Well. That victory will be short-lived, as their ranks will quickly be replenished. Maybe so. But sacrifices have to be made for the greater good. We have to go now. A security team's been alerted. We're gonna, we'll, we'll pause it right there, because that, that kind of gets us to the crux of, 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 of what we know about Sagarera from the, from the get-go. Is, is he's, he's a bit short-sighted. His passion, his commitment to engaging against the Empire is just... Is, to be respected and admired in, in, in a sense, but not great at the long game is this one. Uh, and, and Tech rightly points out that you kill these Imperials and they'll just, the, the, that void will quickly be filled by others. Uh, there, there's not much to be gained by this, but there's a long-term strategy that they could employ here. Uh, and Sagarera has no time for it. it that's, not his, that's not how he operates. That's not his um, cup of tea, if you will. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about, about Saw's psychology and how he's been shaped by the events, the initial events on Onderon, where his sister uh, uh, died in the revolution there to, to liberate their people, and how that seems to have shaped a lot of his decision-making process. So it's, it's interesting to, to always reconnect with Saw at the various points in his rebellion. And th this is still very early on. This is, again, this is at the early point of the Empire, before we see him in Andor, before we see him in Rogue One, obviously, uh, that's still fighting with that vim and vigor. And... Again, we're to the point now where he still hasn't been uh, um, physically altered by uh, his sort of impetuousness, right? Like he's still, at least as far as we can tell in this episode, he's still all there physically. He hasn't been replaced by mechanical parts. He doesn't have a breathing apparatus. He's still, you know, flesh and blood Saw Gerrera. Uh, but it's, it's his involvement in this episode that changes the entire dynamic of what the Batch is trying to do here because once they're detected... Um, it, it changes everything. Now, they've, you know, Wrecker and Omega have completed their task. They've placed a tracker on Hemlock's ship. 
the the ways in which they sort of figured out that it was hemlock chip, I feel were a touch convenient, touch dodgy, but regardless, they got there. We got the, we got you know they figured it out. We're there, but it all is all for naught. You know the, the the subterfuge, the the evading of imperial forces, uh, the stealthiness of which the batch has moved through this facility, uh, is completely thrown out the window now with Sagarera's sort of uh, blunt stick tactics, uh, because now that Saw is, is is exposed, and now that these security teams have been alerted, uh, the jig is sort of up, and you know Hunter and his team do not have time to convince. Uh, Sagarera to not follow through with his plan of, of detonating the explosives they have planted throughout the, the, the compound for the summit. Um, and it is through Sagarera's actions that the Bad Batch finds themselves in a very, very precarious situation as they attempt to escape the compound on uh, that sort of a, a, a conveyor train that, that headed into the facility and then down to the lower levels of Iriadu. Um, and, and it is when Saw blows up the lower levels of Tarkin's compound that the power to those trains shuts off, and our heroes find themselves uh, not too far away from a train full of stormtroopers who are out to get them and eliminate them. Um, what is also interesting is that, again, these Imperials, they have a plan. They're prepared for these sort of things. Tarkin in particular, Governor Tarkin, smart fella, prepares for eventualities. So an attack on his compound, well, where they're meeting at is fortified. It's, it's, it's um, I don't want to say it's like a bomb shelter necessarily, but it's, it's again, fortified is the word I'm going to use here. It is a secure location. So Hemlock, Krennic, Ramadi, all these Imperial uppity-ups that, that Tarkin is having at the summit are safe and secure. Sagar's plan is not going to work. He's going to blow up some ships. He's going to blow up equipment. He's going to blow up some personnel. But he's not eliminating any of the, the higher muckety-mucks of the Empire. No, 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 this is for naught. And this plan blows the Bad Batch's um, tracking device completely out of the water because now they have no way to follow Hemlock when he decides to leave the facility. So it, it, it really... Saw really puts a monkey wrench into their plans. Um, and again, this is sort of what you get from not having a unified rebellion. But you also this is also what you get when you have sort of two factions against the empire but with very personal motivations you know sauce is very personal from the death of his stemming from the death of his sister uh and the the bad batch you know a little bit more noble noble in the sense that they're trying to uh rescue their brother crosshair and liberate the clones that are being held against their will you know we open up this 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 segment here uh with that with that bit from um one of the imperials it wasn't ramadi it was the other one uh, in the in the chamber, talking about how the Senate, how they're advocating for clone rights, and you know, longtime listeners of this podcast know that we advocate for clone rights on this podcast as well. So I, I like the fact that the, the, the Imperials are very much aware of what's going on with the clone situation, but then you have Imperials like Hemlock, who are like their property; they're not sentient beings in that sense. We own them; they are, in fact, slaves. So. I like having that reinforced. It makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> I don't need to be right, but I like to be right. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so I, I like sort of having that, ex you know, kind of in the discussion, uh, very, very much so. Uh, this is sort of like the bridge point, right? This is sort of where our episode ends with our, with our heroes suspended 
over a, a massive chasm on Iriadu. Uh, their train is stuck. There's no power. Uh, Echo can't get things going. Again, the, 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 the juice is completely cut off from this train line. And the next car coming up the ramp is not too far away and is full of stormtroopers that are gunning for him. And that's where this episode sort of ends. Um, one of the things I want to mention before we fully transition to the second part of the episode is when the Batch is sort of putting their plan together and they're preparing to leave Pabu. Uh, there's a really nice moment between Tech and Fee. And I didn't want to believe that it was what I thought it was, which was, oh, this, this, this seems like Fee and Tech sort of have uh, a romantic in, in, entanglement in their, in, their, in their story. There's, some, there's, a, there's a, 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 a physical, emotional connection between the two characters. Um, it's just definitely what it seemed to be without really kind of coming out and saying it that they went to uh, Pound Town. Is that appropriate? I don't know. You decide. But <laughs> the implication is that they're, they're, they are more than just sort of colleagues, right? Like they're, they're, there's sort of more there. Or at least there's more there if Tech can kind of get out of his own way. The, that scene that is sort of like the implication. That scene made me nervous. <laughs> and as episode two... Uh, episode 16, or part two of this episode, of this two-parter, uh, reveals I was very, very right to be nervous for Tech. Um, as, 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 you know, we look back on this season and we see that Tech has had a lot of um, emotional highs and lows. He's had a lot of, of trying to understand emotions and feeling and, and, you know, why people do the things they do on an emotional level as opposed to a tactical, uh, strategic level, right? And so it really pays off in the second parter uh, when Tech makes the decision to, to sacrifice himself to save his brothers. Now, I think from his perspective, it's still the logical, strategic, sound decision to make, but what he does uh, to, to, again, to save his brothers, to save Omega, to, and, and also to aid the mission, by and large, to help them escape from Iriadu and from the stormtroopers that are closing in around them. Um, it, it's also, there is also the emotional component that I think he now understands more fully um, than, he did, he, than he would have if it was a decision he made early in the season, right? Like, he understands now that there, are, are, there, there is an emotional component to what he's about to do, and it will have an effect on Wrecker and Hunter and Omega and Echo moving forward. Uh, that sequence to open the second parter, to open Plan 99, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's breathtaking, it's stunning, it's, it's harrowing. The, the graphics, the, the way, it's sh the, way they, the, the shots they choose to use to illustrate the, uh, the heights of peril, uh, the harrowing nature of what is occurring, and that was my dryer completing its cycle, so I apologize for that giant buzzing noise, <laughs> especially as I'm talking about Tech's heroic sacrifice. Um, coupled all those, couple all those elements with Kevin Kiner's uh, just masterful scoring of this episode, and, and and Kevin Kiner has been on fire for a long, long time, but I think with the Bad Batch, he's really, really raised. Um, the emotional component of what he's doing with the scores. 
so much so, you know, like Rebels was was a story about family, and this is a story about family too, but family in a different sense, in in in, in a sense of well, not so much in a different sense, but in in a different state, right? Like, you know, Rebels is is, is strangers drawn together. Bad Batch is is about brothers, and and sort of going beyond brothers into the family mode, like sort of transitioning into a family from just a simple brotherhood into something more. Uh, so Kiner's score, particularly in the sequence where Tech makes his uh, sacrifice, and when Tech says what he says right before the end, um, it's, it's crushing, it's devastating, it's so appropriate, it's so awesome, it's so epic, it's incredible. And if it didn't get you in the feels, at least a little bit, then you're kind of dead inside already. So I'm going to go ahead and cue up that sequence right now. Don't li- listen to what Echo, or I'm sorry, listen to what Tech and Rekka are saying to each other, but listen to that score, to that emotion that Kevin Kiner has imparted in the music to, to support this sequence, because it is, it is breathtaking, stunning stuff. There is no time, Rekka. Plan 99. Don't you do it, Jack! When have we ever followed orders? It's getting to me emotionally. It's gutting watching watching Tech make that sacrifice and the way that score kicks in and the cable car launches away from them so they can't even uh, be there to see what the aftermath is. Does you know what happens next? You know, and 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 I'm, I I will put it on Front Street right now. When later in this episode, when Hemlock has his confrontation with Hunter and he throws Tech's goggles at him, again there was no body found. I don't necessarily think Tech is dead, because again, if there's no body, that is, you know, that leaves a lot of wiggle room for things. So they may do something down the road with with Tech. He may be, you know, maybe uh, Hemlock does have him. Maybe he is somewhere on the Wayland facility. TBD on that. But that doesn't take away from this scene in particular, which is just epic and brilliant and lovely and, and, and all the feels that you want out of a Star Wars show because, you know, again, like, I, 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 I direct this criticism at the people who, who mock this show, who knock this show for its side mission sort of mentality, right? And that's because they're not paying attention to the emotional underpinnings that each of these characters are going through throughout the course of a season. So for Tech to make this sacrifice, again, it seems logical, it seems strategic, but he now understands his impact, what this loss will mean. Like there's there's a lot to this now that resonates in a different way for, for Tech to do this. And, and those those final words that he says, 
when nobody ever, ever followed orders. I mean, it's so appropriate. It's so dead on. It's so spectacular. Um, and again, Kevin Kiner's score, just the way it kicks up as he falls to his death, as the cable car you know, reattaches to the gears and launches away from his falling body, um, it, it's, it's, it's stunning. It's, it's so well executed, so well done. Uh, and then you have the, 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 the I, I keep, I, I wanna, I'm gonna say train, <laughs> but like now kind of out of control and rocketing towards this end point and it reaches a collision spot. And then we shift our point of view to Omega who is obviously devastated. She has not come to terms with, with loss and grief and death and, and you know, moving on from when, when our, our heroes fall. Like that is not, not something she's prepared for. Uh, so now we shift to her POV, and as the this cable car crashes through uh, the terminal where it's supposed to stop at, and uh, she is uh, heavily concussed, and you know we miss a lot of the action because we're in her POV where she's kind of coming in and out of consciousness, and we hear bits and snippets of, of the conversation around her as as she sort of is in and out uh, of awareness. Um, you know, we transition, we find the Bad Bat. They've made their escape. They got back to the Marauder. They, they made it off planet. They made it away from Iriadu, uh, despite all the odds against them. Um, and against, <laughs> in the decision that I find somewhat head-scratching, um, and again, there's a line of dialogue in there that they use to justify it. You know, Hunter tells Wrecker that they got to get to Lord Mantell. They got to get her back to AZI because AZI is the one who can who can tend to her wounds in particular. So that means going back to Lord Mantell. That means going back to Sid. I find that head scratching. I, I I'm sort of baffled that they couldn't, they didn't feel they could go back to Pabu and and find a physician who could tend to Omega's injuries, who could tend to their injuries. They felt the need to go back toward Mantell. And I think every single person who watched this episode knew exactly what would happen next. You know, the Batch has been been isolating themselves. They've been withdrawing from Sid for the last four or five episodes. Uh, and now that they're back in her stead, now that there's heat on them, as she even says, uh, now was the time for her to turn on them. And again, she seems somewhat regretful she seems somewhat like it was forced upon her, like there was no choice, kind of like a like a like a Lando like a Lando in Cloud City situation, you know, they got here just before you did. I had no choice. Blah blah blah. Um, and and you know maybe there's something to that, and maybe we'll shake that out next season. But the the inevitable betrayal of Sid is something that we saw coming very early in the season. It was it was predicted. It was forecasted. We talked about it on and on and on and on throughout every recap of this show that we did this season. Uh, so when it finally happened, it, it, it wasn't sort of like the, 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 I guess it wasn't the moment that I, I sort of envisioned for when it would happen. Like we knew it would happen, but I thought it'd be a little bit more of a, um, oh, that's a surprising betrayal all of a sudden because like it's at a really inopportune time. Now it was at a really inopportune time, but because of the Batch's decision to distance themselves from her for the last four or five episodes, it felt inevitable, which was eh, maybe not the way I wanted to see it shake out necessarily. But again, that is a that is a, a nit that doesn't need picking. 
it, it did what it did, and it got the point where we needed to, which was Hemlock arriving on Ord Mantell, confronting Hunter, confronting Wrecker, uh, and, and forcing a situation where the Batch is at a disadvantage, even though it is their home turf. They, they've been sold out. They thought they had safe haven. They did not. Uh, and Hemlock has come for Omega. And Omega, who didn't follow orders, who didn't listen to Hunter, who did not uh, escape a CZI and go off planet on the Marauder and with Echo or anybody else, ultimately gets captured by Imperial Commandos and Hemlock's forces and taken to Wayland. Now, again, if, if Hemlock were <laughs> the bad guy um, that we think he would be, you, you know, he just would have put two blaster bolts in the back of Echo and Hunter, uh, Wrecker and uh, Hunter's heads and called it a day. But, of course, they're still left alive to swear vengeance <laughs> along with, with Echo. Um, and, and we find Omega in Wayland in Mount Tantus with a, a, a prone, unconscious crosshair. And we get a, a, a moment, sort of like the shocking moment that kind of brings the episode to a, to a, a close, um, which is the, 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 the little chat, if you will, between Dr. Scalder and Omega, where the revelation is that Dr. Scalder and Omega are actually sisters. So they are of the genus, same genome. They are related. And there's, there's more going on with this Imperial version of the cloning program than we've been led to believe so far. So, you know, while we're spending a lot of time here forecasting that Hemlock's got something to do with the cloning program to keep Palpatine alive forever, uh, you know, probably has some connection to the development of, of Snoke as, as, as a being for which Palpatine to inhabit at some point. Um, I, th I think there's still a lot of unexplored territory with the cloning program and, and what maybe Hemlock has in mind. One of the things he mentions in the first episode, or in the first part of this two-parter, uh, is sort of like the, the, this enlightened society. Um, and and it, again, they don't go into specifics, but you have to sort of wonder if there'll be like sort of like the selective uh, immortality program installed in the, in the empire where, where the, the aristocrats, the, the one percenters, are, are, are afforded the luxury of eternal life um, in the guise of an enlightened society where it's just really just, you know, snobby aristocrats keeping their boot heel on uh, the public for a longer period of time. Now, that, that's me speculating very wildly, but it, it's, it seems like something that worth exploring down the road. But the, the season, this season really wraps up with the Batch in a bad spot, you know? Hunter, Wrecker, uh, uh, Echo are in... A, a position where they don't know how to find Omega. They don't know how to find Crosshair. Uh, you know, the Empire seems to have dismissed them. They've got lucky that they're still alive. Hemlock got what he wanted. He has Omega. Now he has, which will seemingly grant him the secrets that Nalase possesses. Um, and we just find ourselves in a position where we just don't know what's going to happen next. And I, I love it. I'm going to play this last sequence here from from our heroes uh, as they sort of set the tone for what next season is going to be like. Let's check it out. There was no way to track Hemlock's ship. He could have taken Omega anywhere.
We are going to get her back. And we don't stop searching until we do. So why is that such an important piece of dialogue right there? Because another element that we've been talking about with this show, another theme we've been talking about this season of The Bad Batch, is is that they were going from mission to mission kind of rudderless. They were existing, right? Like they were doing these missions for Sid. They were living hand to mouth. They didn't really have a purpose. You know, we sort of speculated, you know, at the middle of the season that eventually they would side up with, with Echo and Rex and start doing things to help liberate clones. And ultimately that's going to be exactly what happens, but it's, it's the fact that Omega has been taken from them. That now spurs them to the cause, right? Like now they will be invested in pursuing uh, contacts and sources and leads on how to find Hemlock and his hidden base on Wayland at Mount Tantus. Uh, and that is going to be the, what spurs season three forward. Uh, and what's also going to be really interesting about season three, I think, is now we have Omega in a position where she can connect with Crosshair in a way that we haven't seen yet either. Uh, and I think that's going to be really, really important for Crosshair sort of, uh, a, a, you know, <laughs> PR rehabilitation in our eyes as an audience, right? Like, you know, we sort of see him as the brother who sort of betrayed the batch, right? Who stayed with the Empire, who stayed loyal to the Empire, who did bad things in the service of the Empire. Uh, now, now it's time for him to get a little, uh, like, let, make you know, let's make Crosshair great again kind of moment. Uh, and I think it'll be Omega that sort of helps draw him out of the state he's in. You know, Crosshair's always been the distant one, always been the one who's even more emotionally closed off than, than Tech ever was. Uh, because cause because of what Crosshair does, he kills from a distance. So what does that say about a person psychologically? Uh, they're, that they're distant emotionally already to begin with. That's why they can kill from so far away. Um, and I'm, I won't go too deep and down that rabbit hole of the psychology of, of, of snipers and all that stuff. But, you know, they, 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 they may sort of hint at a lot of these elements moving forward into season three of The Bad Batch. And I couldn't, I couldn't be more excited about the way this season concluded about everything that they did in this two-parter. Uh, it, was, it was filled with action, drama, uh, emotional elements, again, insanely well-scored, uh, connecting to the mythology, including Sagarera. Uh, you, you have Iriadu, you have Tarkin, you have all these wonderful elements that they, they're, they're weaving in and out of the mythology with. Uh, I, it, it delivered the goods in a big, bad way for me. Was it the way I had envisioned it going? No. Uh, I think it actually exceeded what I had in mind for it because it, it, it connected on a more emotional level than, than what I had in mind, which is more of an action-based two-part finale, right? Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot going on in Wayland and Mount Tantus, uh, and, and I, I sort of like that it's being teased out, that it's sort of stretching that taffy out with that plot line because uh, I, I, I really want to know more about Hemlock. I kind of want to see how this shakes out in the next season where we get more time with these characters uh, and, and, and to kind of see what Hemlock is plotting and cooking in Mount Tantus. I can't wait to see what's next there. Uh, love this episode. Uh, the, this this, this two-parter in general was, was amazing. Um, I give uh, uh, part one of it, episode 15, is eight and a half buckets, and, and part two is nine and a half buckets. It was phenomenal. I loved it so, so much. Again, the only head-scratching moment was the decision to go back to Orbantel, but Hunter made the decision that that was where it was safest uh, where that was the place where it was best to go to get the care they needed for Omega's injuries. So I'll, uh, I'll, uh, 
Oh, we can shrug at that one and be like, okay, I guess so. I'll, you know, you know better. You know best on that one than, than I do. I wouldn't have gone, but that's just me. So, <laughs> so yeah, what a great way to wrap up season two of Star Wars The Bad Batch. Just, I'm just so stoked on this two-parter. It was absolutely fantastic. And I would love to hear your thoughts about it. So please reach out. You know where to find me. On social media, it's at Mando underscore Vision, Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Remember, this is the MandoVision podcast, Nargai Tom. And uh, I thank you for supporting the show, for, for listening, being part of Buckhead Nation. Uh, if you want to support the show with five-star reviews on whatever platform you listen to, that would be insanely helpful. We truly, truly appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate you being here for another episode of MandoVision After Dark with my sweet, sultry tones as I try to... Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm trying to do. It's just I'm, I, I can't get as loud and, and boisterous as I do on the other podcasts, so I got to try and be subdued and, and uh, sultry, I guess. I don't know. Does, is it working for anybody? Should I, should I host a nighttime radio call-in show? I don't know. You let me know. Reach out. Like I said, I gave you the socials. You know where to find me. So <laughs> with that being said, we will be back next week. We will be shifting our focus exclusively to the Mandalorian for the next batch of weeks, but prepare yourselves because we will be resuming our rewatch of Star Wars The Clone Wars Season 5 very, very soon. I don't want to put a date on that just yet, um, but get ready because I've already started rewatching those episodes and they are stellar. So brace yourselves, buckle up, but we, may, we will probably save those for after Season 3 of The Mandalorian wraps up, all right? So that being said, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. We're going to call it a night. Two episodes this week. We did it again. How about that? We'll be back next Wednesday to talk about the next episode of The Mandalorian. Uh, and thank you for the support. You guys are all the best. Buckethead Nation is the best, and I love you so, so much. Let's get out of here. This podcast, it only ends one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.